I, I had this amazing thing that I read about and heard about. Um, I went up to Vic Falls again um, last week and had a great time. Church is doing well and they, uh, they're really just growing and, and what God has for them. And uh, somebody told me about a, a gentleman that often travels. I'm not going to mention names, but um, he did this exercise that last time he traveled, or one of the previous times that he was traveling from here back to Vic Falls, he started calculating and, and noting every, uh, every um, pothole and, and situation on the road between here and Vic Falls that are worth noting for others to take note of. So that should they travel, they can, oh, it's 22.3 kilometers. There's such and such happening now. And so this man... <laughs> amazing gentleman he took a whole lot of i don't know how long it took him but he did it from the from the toll gate to to big falls and um listen to this he he documented he made i mean the, the journey is 455 kilometers from my house i know because i've done it about 40 times in the last two years but uh, he he did along this 400 450 kilometer stretch he did 130 entries of of conditions to the road that he felt was was worth mentioning and he did it for others so that they can so he's got this spreadsheet of 130 entries and meticulously noted at what kilometer distance uh, he zeroed his odometer when he came when he left the toll gate and he said 2.2 kilometers and 30.6 and whatever 130 of them and he didn't just say pothole pothole he described it each one individually what the situation was and what the concern was. And I mean, it's amazing what he's done. You know, give him applause. I mean, I don't know how long it must have taken him, though, to drive from here and do 130 entries. It's like every third kilometer he stopped. You know that? And so, I mean, just give the man credit, you know. But what I've tried to say is that we're going, we're on a journey through the book of Matthew in the same way, that, that we're making entries as we go along. And noticing things and noting things. And I just don't want it to be an intellectual exercise for us. That we could go through the whole book of Matthew and, and talking about our focus is the king and I. So Matthew talks much about the royalty of Christ and that he's come to be king. And so hence the purpose of our study is we're looking at the king and I and how that relates into my life. What he suggests and what he tells me I need to look like or live like. And, and so we bring that into our lives. It's not an intellectual exercise. It can never be that. It can neither be an informational one too that we can go through and say, oh, I remember that. And it needs to be a transformational journey. And I'm, I'm asking of you, please don't despise even the little chats that we have on a Sunday. We do send out broadcast um, devotions for you on Matthew. Why? Not to keep you busy but to help us embrace what we're going through as a church, to see that transformation can come to our lives. And if you think that it's too much, I understand it could be too much for you. But I'm asking of you to lay hold of this moment to see transformation come to your life and mine. And so we, we are stopping regularly, like our, our dear friend from Vic Falls did on this journey between here and the falls. And we going to keep on stopping regularly not because we want to keep you busy but we have one goal in mind and that is to become more like Jesus Christ and as we regularly stop and take note of things that's where we challenge one another and say 
how's this in your life? How's this in my life? All right? And so this morning, the, the title of the message is, is the following. It says, not the law, but the Lord. Not the law, L-A-W, but the Lord, L-A-R-D. And we're not under the law, but we are under the Lord. And, and there's, there's a reality that we're going to be looking at. And so um, I want to remind you of, of Matthew chapter 4 and 17. That is like an introduction. Jesus is saying, this is why I'm sa- telling you what I'm about to say. He says in Rom- Rom- I mean, Romans, listen to me. He says in Matthew chapter 4 verse 17, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so in a sense, he's saying, guys, I'm going to introduce you to the kingdom of heaven. I'm going to introduce you to a kingdom where I am the king. Mm-hmm. Where I am the Lord, not the law. And so what he does then in the rest of the book of, of, of Matthew, Matthew takes us through all of these references and moments where Jesus challenges us about what it means to have him as king, what it means to live in the kingdom of heaven, and that it is relevant for us now already. You with me? And so when we then look at Matthew chapter 5, which we have done a couple of things already, and and last week um, Kilton did well talking about, as he says, righteousness of God. He spoke about the righteousness of God. I love the way in which he pronounces it, the righteousness of God. Um, anyway, um, and so he spoke about us being salt and light and that we have called, been called to be the righteousness of God here upon uh, the earth. And, and so we carry on looking from verses 21 to 48 today where I'm going to, as I said to you, the title is not the law but the Lord. There are six things or six times when Jesus uses a particular few words, and it's one, two, three, four, five words that he, that he compares, and in actual fact, it's a transition between there and there, between the law and the Lord. So every time he, he recalls, he says, you have been taught, you have heard this, but I say to you, but I say to you, five words repeated six times in this portion, 21 to 48 verses, um, where he says, You have heard, it has been told, but I say to you, and then he says, this is what you ought to do. So in a sense, he comes with another interruption again, and he says, ah, you've been living, yeah, you thought this is the way that it should go. He says, boom, but I say to you, that woke up a few of you, hey, (laughs) I'm a little bit loud on my own monitors here, because it sounds like I'm going to get myself a fright. I just almost got one. That's better. Thanks, one. Um, And so... He says, no, 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 I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to interject. I'm going to stop you from thinking like this, and I'm going to present to you this thought. And so where we are today, we're going to talk about this stuff. All right? You with me? You're good? And we've got to get going because there's another meeting happening after this. Right, so you're always happy because you know that at least you're not going to be able to carry on further. Hey, that's why you guys come to the first meeting. Shame on you. You've just been caught out. Tell your neighbor it's not nice. So Jesus uses these words against what people thought was good enough for them according to the law, but he raises the bar in six particular real-life situations. And he says, ah, this is what you thought is good. And he says, but I say to you, I wonder how many of us appreciate that, that line, but I say to you. And none of us really do, is it? Look, I, I'm, I'm, I'm quite comfortable here. And then Jesus comes and says, but I say to you, Bessie, ah, ah. 
not quite the way that you should. You know, I've been doing it this way, and, and Jesus is like, ah, Jesus, but I say to you, whoever you are, uh, it's not like it's supposed to be. This is how it's supposed to be. And so if you are unhappy with the but I say to you, it depends on what role the I has in your life and my life. Jesus has the right to say, but I say to you. I, I want to ask you and I ask myself, to what extent am I open to letting him say that to me? There may be areas in your life this morning that he, that he is speaking into. Before I even have started this preach, that he's been saying to you, but I say to you, no. But I say to you, yes, do this. And we're like, ah, ah, I don't know, I'll give it some thought. I think we become too um, argumentative with God at times, where we, where we uh, you know, uh, consider his options or his commands. And like he says, but I say to you, and like, yeah, oh, I don't know. And there's not, a, there's not an option for us really as followers of Christ. There's simply we, we are in or we're not. And the, Jesus ends the, the whole book of the Bible by referring to the fact that when you're not in, it's like you're lukewarm. And he says, I spit you out. I vomit you out. In a sense, I'm disgusted. Because you're not there, you're not there. You're like, ah, but you say, I say to you, I don't know, God, that's a bit harsh and that's a bit difficult or that's a bit too radical. He says, no, you're in or you're out. And our plea, as we preach from here, is, is always to make sure that people are, are in with God. Not because of the benefits that await us, but because of the great obligation we actually have to worship Him because He's given us everything. He's done so much for us. So in six instances, he, he interjects and I'm going to go through them just quickly and, and, and trust that you will allow God to say, but I say to you today, if these are relevant. And I, I think that some of them will be. So got to just buckle up a bit, check your seatbelt. Are you ready? It's a bumpy road ahead, ladies and gentlemen. Do, 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 do. <laughs> Not because he's got something against it, but because he has his values that he wants to present to us. So the first thing he says in verse 21 to 26, he says, You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. That's what it says, of old. Um, this is what the law taught you and what people even added to it. You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. I'm like, ah, oh, that's good. We shall not murder. <laughs> it's good, eh? You agree? Uh, but listen, there's five words coming up. He says, uh, but I say to you. It's like, no, no, you're going to add to this? It's like, this is, this is, okay, none of us, any murderers here this morning? Maybe you'll raise your hand after this again. Because he, Jesus says, but I say to you, murder is, is, is right, yeah, the law should be kept. But he's saying, I'm adding. <laughs> he's adding to this stuff. Like, are you ready for that? Listen to what he's adding. He says that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, says you fool or raka, which is the word that they would be using there in the, in the Greek, will be liable to the hell of fire. Whoa! 
I was good with this murder thing. I was like, I'm fine yeah. I feel, tick the box, I'm okay with that one. All of us are, hey? <laughs> now he's saying, I'm adding to it. He says, That's, that righteousness there is good. None of us should murder. Just tell your neighbor, please don't murder anyone. All right? But then there's a different kind of murder in a sense <laughs> that happens through how we live. And Jesus says, as the law forbade murder, it seems like anger was allowed. He says, now, in, in my kingdom, kingdom of heaven, Romans, why do I go to a Romans? Matthew 4, 17 says, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He says, in the old ways, you heard that it was said, you shouldn't murder. He says, in my kingdom, in this kingdom, you're not even allowed to have anger. I'm not talking about righteous anger where people are going to do stuff in, in, in against the word and against moral values where we're like, no, you can't. You can't kill babies. You just can't. But I'm talking about an anger against a person where we just have all this justification to walk around with this anger in our hearts. Jesus says, murder is one level. I'm taking you to another level. Where he says, guys, you can't live with anger. And he raises the bar and he, and he even refers to the names that we call people. Jesus says, don't insult, don't even go and worship because later on it carries on. He says, when you go to come into the altar and you, you've got a thing there, first be reconciled in verse 24 to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Don't, don't just avoid murder. He says, the higher bar is raised, or the raise, bar is raised to a higher level called anger. We have no excuse for that according to the kingdom of heaven principle where it's the king and I, where I'm saying, okay, king, what are you saying? How should I deal with this? And he's saying, well, deal with anger this way. Get rid of it. And we have numerous stories in the Bible. God saw it in Cain. Where, remember Cain, Adam, Eve, Abel, Cain, remember? Adam and Eve had sons, Abel and Cain, and Abel and Cain offered offerings to the Lord, and Cain's one wasn't received. Uh, well, and God received the other one, and we're like, oh, why didn't God, I don't know. But Cain had no reason to get angry, and God, God came to me and said, hey, Cain, I can see you're angry. Why are you angry? Why is your countenance? It's like his face. He couldn't look God in. Because those days, they, they obviously had this amazing contact with God, it seemed. And God could see that his face was dropped. And you're like, I'm so angry, I can't even, can't even look up. That's how angry Cain was. And I think sometimes we live like that. I'm so angry at this person. If I see them, I'll walk this way. I'll go that way. Don't even, don't, don't mention their name. Just don't. And I insult people. I call them names. You raka. It actually means you stupid. Imbecile. You moron. There's a word that some of my friends taught me about a dog, which is the same kind of thing. I won't mention it, hey. But I just want to say those friends of mine, they taught me that word. Huh? It's not a nice word, but it's the same kind of thing. We call people that something about, yeah. And, but the point is that we call people dog names because we get so angry with them. 
and God says, hey, it's fine to avoid murder. We're like, <laughs> at least I'm not murdering people. And we walk around with this terrible attitude that I'm, I'm just so righteous. But I'm actually calling people names. I'm insulting them. I'm walking with this intense anger in me. You know what is amazing about anger? It just needs one letter. One more letter. And it becomes danger. Anger is very close to something becoming very dangerous in our lives. You just hear stories about road rage and all that stuff. Where anger is not controlled. You add one letter D, it destroys. So Jesus says, guys, come on. This is what you ought to avoid. You've got to live in a way that it's not just the law said I shouldn't murder. The Lord didn't really say I shouldn't get angry, but Jesus says, I'm adding. So we're not, we're, it's not the law, it's the Lord that should be speaking into our lives. And, and the Lord doesn't come and, and chuck away the law and says, oh, the law is not necessary anymore. He says, no, I'm adding to it. I'm, I've come to fulfill it. That stuff is good still, but I'm actually adding more. Wow. So it's not the law. It's the Lord that should direct our lives. There's a story. I want to show you just a quick story. And, and I think I'm not going to get through many of our points today. But there's a beautiful story that's a true story. It, it happened in, in 1994 somewhere. It's, called a, it's a movie called The Straight Story. It's by a man called Alvin Straight. His surname was Straight. That's a straight surname, eh? <laughs> anyway. Um, so this man was 74 or whatever. And, and, and he heard about his brother that, that, that he had an issue with. hadn't spoken to his brother for 10 years. True story, somewhere in Iowa, in, in the States. And, and they heard that his brother had a stroke, and he realized, man, I've got to go make right. This thing about leaving the altar and going make right and let my anger not determine the rest of my life. And so what he did, he couldn't, he, he couldn't get a license, a driver's license. He was 74. He'd never had a driver's license, it seemed, because he had some um, physical uh, problem. And, but what he could drive is his little drive on lawnmower. And for 400 kilometers, he drove to see his brother. Amazing reconciliation going. Just show us this one quickly, please. This morning you fall and you can't get off the floor. That's your hips, Alvin. And you're going to have to use a walker now to get around. No walker. Storm. I'm into a dance, a cloud, a header, a stroke. Rose, darling, I'm gonna go back on the road, and I, I've got to make this trip on my own. I've got to go see Lyle. I know you understand. Alvin, you're gonna get blown off the right off the road. That's what I'm afraid. I don't have a driver's license. That's 60 more miles of hills. That's across the Mississippi. I'm having a little engine trouble. <laughs> you know, uh, I'd be happy to drive you the rest of the way to Mount Zion. I still want to finish this the way I started. 
this trip is a hard swallow for my pride. I just hope I'm not too late. You've got two brothers that haven't spoken in 10 years. I want to make peace. I want to sit with him, look up at the stars, like we used to do so long ago. Brothers and brothers. Amazing story. It's one of those that you drive you to tears, I'm sure. But just the point is this, that you can live with anger. But when Christ comes into our lives, he has the right to challenge that. And so if there are things that you need to make right, rather just get on a, a lawnmower at eight kilometers an hour. And it took him a couple of weeks, apparently, five weeks or something. True story. He went and saw his brother, and it seemed like his brother then moved to his place, and they, they lived together until, I guess, the one passed away or whatever. The point is just that there was an effort made, and Christ is not even featuring there. It's just, <laughs> imagine how much more in our lives where Christ features. Should we not make an effort? So Jesus says it's not the law, but it's the Lord. The second thing he goes into is in verse 27. Gee, we, we the, buck, the, the safety belt, hey? Remember that safety belt? The, the doors, by the way, are closed. We can't let anybody out at the moment. So sorry. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> it says in verse 27, you have heard what it was said. Hey, the Lord taught you this stuff. Yeah, you shall not commit adultery. I mean, that's a basic thing. It's like, guys, come on. We shouldn't. You're married, stay faithful to one wife. If you're not married, don't get involved in premarital sex. That's really what, why am I losing myself? I can't hear myself. Sorry, guys. Um, I'm not hearing myself. Thank you. Um, and so he's saying, come on, this is what the law says. But I say to you, five words again coming. He says, that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So it seems again that over here we were quite happy. We, we just stay faithful in marriage. But Jesus is saying, actually, I'm adding something. I'm adding that, that your impure motives can also be seen as adultery. And your thoughts. So it's like, hey, I'm okay. I mean... There are many people, unfortunately, that, that face this and, and they go through it, but most people don't. So most people can say, take that box, <laughs> done that, not done that one. But <gasps> what is it that Jesus just said? He interjects again and he says, impure thoughts are, are adultery in his eyes. He, he again raises the bar. <laughs> and he says, it's, you know, if you battle with it, then... Obviously, it doesn't say we should physically do it, but it says, if your, heart, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. So we, just, we don't have any medical personnel here this morning, but we just thought we we're going to go and do this in any case. What was that? <laughs> we just want to say, if any of you have been battling in this area, just line up. We're gonna, I've got a little thing that I can use to, for your eye. I mean, imagine how many people would walk around without the right eye. I think it's funny, but it's actually scary how real that could be. Ah, you too. Eh? <laughs> yeah. 
No, it's not a joke. It's actually a real thing. Jesus says you've got to be radical when you deal with this. For it's better that you lose one of your members than what you lose your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of your members and your whole body go into hell. He says, actually, the reality and, and the danger is this. If we toil around and we just say, I've not committed adultery, but over here I'm fooling around and nobody's aware of it. But actual fact, it could lead to utter destruction. And it's not just for men. It is for all people. And I know that men, because men, we're attracted by what we see. Physical beauty attracts us and when it comes to women. And so it seems like, I mean, but the reality is that it's real for everybody. And so Jesus again says, hey, listen, it's great that you don't. When you're married, don't you fool around with other women. That's not appropriate. But he says there's a, there's a higher level of righteousness that I want to speak into. And that is what you think when you see another person. And sometimes those thoughts may not always be sexual because we look at other bodies and we say, oh, I wish I had that one. Or you look at another person and you say, I wish I could be with that one. Jesus says, for him it's the same. It could lead to utter destruction. And I think we, we live in a world where we, where we try to do the, the least, isn't it? It's like, you know, I need to do the job, but I'm going to try to do it as, as quick as possible and, and as, uh, as easy as possible. And, and just, I don't want to go to, to extreme effort. I just want to do the least. And Jesus actually calls us not to the least. He calls us to the, to the radical. You know, Jesus' followers are supposed to be radical in all that we do. And so when he presents not the law, but the law to us, he says this is a radical lifestyle. Where we, where we see something, we're like, uh-uh. When I know that if I go into this channel, uh-uh. I'm just radical with it. When I say no to this, I mean it. And I actually incorporate others and say, listen, why don't you just help me with this? Job 31 verse 1, Job made this amazing statement. He says, I've made a covenant with my eyes. I will not look at the beauty of a virgin. How's that? That's what Job said. So whether you're married or not married, that's relevant for all of us as men and as women. So God, there's a lot of beauty out there. That's why we sing a song, by the way, man, this is amazing. I think we're looking for beauty in the, in the physical so much that we miss the beauty in the spiritual. We sang a song about, Jesus, you're beautiful. Why don't you go and make an effort just to study the beauty of God so that you'll be more aware of His beauty than become less aware of the beauty that we're constantly looking for out there or in ourselves. I've got to do this to try to just beautify this thing, you know? And we become obsessed with beauty in the outer but not motivated by the inner beauty that we find in a relationship with Christ. And so Jesus raises this bar. He says, guys, we, we too often we live for outer external beauty. We look at it and we want it. And it drives us to even promiscuous lifestyles where people would even say, well, I couldn't help it. She was so beautiful I had to rape her. That's the extreme. Unfortunate. It's because we are not aware of the beauty of God. 
And I'm telling you, the more we, we, we live in that place of recognizing and be awed by His beauty, <laughs> the less we will try to find it in, in people. And praise the Lord for beauty around us. You guys look beautiful this morning, even though with your masks and stuff. <laughs> the point is, beauty external is not what should drive us. Beauty internal is what we should live for. And Jesus raises the bar. He says, guys, this is what I want you to live. And one of the most counter-cultural values that you and I can live with is sexual purity. Sexual purity. It is not applauded. It is not celebrated. It is not really spoken of in this world. But in the book of God, it is. And as followers of Christ, this is where our lives need to live according. And we need to celebrate sexual purity amongst God's people. We need to celebrate it before marriage, and we need to celebrate it during marriage. And where we have made mistakes, praise the Lord for His grace. Absolutely thankful for His grace. Because we all make mistakes. And in an area of sexual, sexuality, many people have made mistakes. That doesn't define you. It doesn't mean that you are a mistake. Even babies born out of wedlock is not a mistake. The child, the life that God gives is beautiful. The, the experience that led to that may have been wrong. But it doesn't define the child. Come on. We don't look down at the child and say, oh, no, please don't. The people may have made a mistake, but the child is not a mistake. And so whenever we make mistakes sexually, we treat it with the utmost grace and, and, and forgiveness and kindness towards the people. But we should not stop talking about sexual purity. It doesn't mean that the whole world is going that way and we're like, ah, oh, no, this doesn't help talk about it. No, we will keep on talking about it because Jesus says, I talk about it. I want my followers to live this way. So please, if you have made mistakes in terms of sexuality, please don't feel condemned this morning. There's grace for God, from God available for you as if you ask for forgiveness and you, you turn towards Him and accept His grace and forgiveness and choose to live a sexually pure life because it is possible. Come on. And we want to celebrate that. Lord, I want to just pray right now for this. That if there's anybody right here this morning, that in this particular area, Lord God, they failed. I pray for your grace that they will reach out to you and say, Lord, I, I may have not have done the extreme one or that one, but I've certainly not been being pure in this area. I pray for your grace and your forgiveness to be upon people right now. My friend, why don't you just keep, all close your eyes. I want to ask you just before God and just between you and Him, if, if you have not dealt with any sexual impurity that you have accommodated and harbored in your life, whether it's the actual act fornication, sex before marriage, or is it, whether it's adultery, sexual relationship with, between you and somebody else than your wife or your husband, 
or if you have been harboring, married or unmarried, sexual impure thoughts while looking at the internet, magazines, or even physically at women, and you're undressing them as you look. Why don't you just right now before God say, Jesus, this is a sin. This is a sin. It has been a sin. And I ask you, if you've never asked for forgiveness, that you ask for forgiveness right now. And I'm not going to ask you to stand up. Don't worry. Just between you and God. Just between you and Him. Just make right. Say, Jesus, I ask you to forgive me. And I thank you for forgiveness right now, Lord God. Lord, I also just pray for people that may need to go and apologize to somebody that they've wronged in this way. It just led them to the place where sexual relationship took place. And kind of manipulated them. I pray, Father, that you'll give them the, the courage to make right. Lord, if there are people that need to deactivate certain channels and stuff in their lives, that they've brought pornography into their lives, I pray, Holy Spirit, that your conviction will fall upon them today, right now. They will deal with this. Burn books, magazines that have not been helpful in this regard. God, I pray for credible breakthrough this morning in this area. We're not under the law, but we're under the Lord ship of Jesus, where He directs us through Holy Spirit into a pure life. I pray, Lord God, that You will help us with that. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. If forgiveness is relevant to you right now, just receive it. Just receive it. Thank You, Lord. Amen.